This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This this is It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati with Lindsey Patterson and Mike Santagata. We are back on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati. Make sure that you like, I don't know if you do that, but some podcast platforms, but uh, subscribe, rate, review. We don't have enough of those uh, if you love us. If you don't love us, there is no review option um, on your app of choice, whether that's Spotify or the Odyssey app, Apple Podcast. I think that's the name. I don't have an iPhone. Uh, Just me today Lindsay needed today off and i told her i can man the fort uh if you're following me on twitter you see i released or i guess on all Bengals, you see i released a charlie jones article so i figured we could talk about that a little bit uh i'll pull it up what i see charlie jones future comparison what he is as a player what he can bring to the Bengals year one year three I think that's usually what I'd like to do when I do those comparisons is what are they going to do year one? And then what are they going to do year three? Because that should be when they're starting to hit their stride. Year five, maybe as a prime, although he's older. Year five, he's going to be 29 turning 30 years old. So I guess that's still prime, but late prime. If you don't know, Charlie Jones was our fourth round pick. He's uh, He wasn't a slot receiver at Purdue, which I found interesting. He was an outside guy mostly, but I think he projects inside better than outside at the NFL level, and we'll get into that. He dominated the Big Ten last year. 110 catches, 1,361 yards, and 12 touchdowns. That was the most catches in the NCAA, the second most yards, and the fifth most receiving touchdowns. But that's really his only breakout. He didn't break out before that, but he was at Iowa and before that, Buffalo. This is a player that is using the redshirt and the uh, COVID year as well to stay in school and try to make a case for him becoming an NFL player. He was also a return guy mostly before this year in 2020. He was top five in return yardage, but I think he fell a little bit in the draft. Like this all sounds great because of his age and his slender build. He's He weighed in at a little under 180 pounds. And I think that I was, wasn't told I was listening to the locked on Bengals podcast and they had uh, Mike Potts on, who's one of the Bengals, I believe director of college scouting. It could, I I believe so. And he basically said he dropped weight to run faster. We think he's more around 190, 195, which is still pretty slender. For especially for what the Bengals like, Jamar Chase, I think he's a hair under six feet, even though he measured in at six feet, and he's over 200 pounds. I don't think they have another guy that is under 200 pounds. I'd have to check Trent Taylor, I guess. But what he does well already is, and some natural ability, is his short area quickness. He gets in and out of his breaks really quick underneath 10 yards or so. When you get beyond 10 yards, he kind of hits that top gear, and I see a little bit of an issue throttling down. <clears throat> 
And that makes it a little less viable for him being on the outside. And we'll get into another reason why I think he's more of a slot guy, a good slot guy, but a slot guy who can maybe moonlight outside if he puts on a little bit of good weight, but really good short area quickness gets in and out of his routes, get, you know, that suddenness, that change of direction can just create separation at the break immediately. I think he can add a little bit to that. He can add a little bit of fakes. He can add a little bit of a rocker step, something to just throw the defensive back off. If you think of Tyler Boyd, I always think of, you know, he does that kind of hesitation skip and then go just tempo, tempo the routes and make them feel different. Like he's going this speed, then he's going that speed. I th- I also think of basketball. You see basketball players, the ball handlers are going to tempo. They're going to slow down, hesitate, go fast, go fast, slow down, go fast, decelerate, accelerate. And I think Jones has that ability, but he doesn't really use it right now. So that's a technical thing I think he can work on a little bit. He has fantastic three things I think are underrated when it comes to being a receiver and something that I loved in Jamar Chase coming out, body control, concentration, and the ability to catch contested balls and through contact. That's four things. So I'm sorry about saying three, (laughs) but four things, I think they're huge. And he does all of that over the middle. He takes hits or he braces for hits, but still catches the ball. He never, I don't want to say never, but almost never drops a pass because he can hear footsteps or because he sees a hit coming. He catches it and he can kind of contort his body to make that hit less of an impact. And I think that's big, especially the contorting your upper body while your lower body moves differently. That works for sideline catches and it works for back shoulder stuff that Joe Burrow loves throwing and all of the receivers for the Bengals are very good at. He's an experienced and explosive return guy. And I think that adds as a receiver as well. Like that's obviously the special teams benefit he's going to add this year is possibly being the return guy. I think he'll win that job, but it is up in the air. Maybe he's not as sure handed at the NFL level. We'll see. I think he'll win it though. And he'll probably be the most explosive guy they've had since Adam Pacman Jones. But that also says a little bit about what the Bengals have had at return man since then. Uh, and what I think in at, the NFL level and what that's going to do for him as a receiver is he has a good feel and processing and reading open field and knowing where to go space, being able to work through his blocks, screen passes, things like that. Um, And I also think he's just well-seasoned. This makes sense because he's older, but he's smart. He reads coverage as well. He knows where to sit in a void of a zone. He knows where to, you know, move to make himself open. Um, there's not a ton I want, I would think of adding to his zone coverage. It's just the only thing that makes that not a super clean transition at the NFL level is one colleges sometimes will play those zones quite a bit different with what's called match coverage, where it's zone and that becomes man, you know, they start in zone and then say you're the number three receiver. When you declare as the number three receiver, that guy's just now matched up with you. He's just going to run with you wherever you go. If you declare vertically. Uh, so in the NFL speed is different, you know, the big 10, it's a good conference. It's not the sec in terms of athletes, but it's also even the sec isn't the NFL in terms of athletes. The NFL is the best of the best of college. So everybody is basically a collegiate star that's in the NFL. And those guys are all freak athletes. So you're going to get guys moving a lot quicker windows closing a lot faster, but I think. I think the foundation is there for him to be a very good receiver against zone coverages to get into why I don't think he's an outside receiver. He has pretty good speed. Like that isn't the issue. That's kind of been Tyler Boyd's issue is he tops out probably around four, six, and he's not a 
behemoth that uh, can really run a four six, and it doesn't matter. You know, I think of uh, Mike Williams is probably a little faster than that, but think that type of receiver. You know, big, not super fast, not on Tate slow, but um, a little slower. Not going to beat any cornerbacks deep, <clears throat> but can just bully them. And Boyd can't really do that. That's why he lives in the slot. Charlie Jones gets bullied a little bit, even at his collegiate weight of 190, 195. I saw a lot of corners, Joey Porter, all these, even though he cooked Joey Porter a little bit himself, a lot of these guys, when they get hands on him early on the outside, they funnel him out of bounds or within what's called the no tread zone, which is about five yards from out of bounds. You don't want to get in that spot because it makes the throw nearly impossible to make as the quarterback. Now you've got a great one in Joe Burrow that can throw it accurately down the field. But we even saw when Jamar Chase entered the league, he kind of entered that no tread zone a little too much and it led to some missed opportunities. So I think that's something Charlie needs to work on is both getting bigger and stronger to just take that contract contact and stay on a straight line and stay outside of five yards from the sideline. But also I think he could use a varied release package. He has a little bit of this split release and go And he can go inside or outside with that. I think that might be his best release. Or he just does a rip. And that just makes it hard. Releasing as a wide receiver, side tangent, is so similar to being a defensive lineman, pass rushing. You know, rip moves, swipe moves, swim moves, etc. So he rips. And that makes it hard because you're, you're moving. It's harder to hit somebody as they're moving the target. And it makes the target slimmer because you have to hit his shoulder. He's turning his body and making his chest unavailable. I think he's got a foundation for a release, but I think he could vary his release package and get a little bit better with it. Uh, and the other issue I saw, well, two more issues, and then the age thing. But the age thing is just, it is what it is. Guys who break out earlier just, you know, they have a tendency to be better receivers at the NFL level. Most guys who can dominate NFL corners at the age of 19 are going to do that at the NFL level, but guy who can dominate college corners at the age of 24 might not. But what I see as an issue, and this is inside and outside is he's not a great blocker right now. And I think that's also kind of a weight thing. Now the Bengals are pretty spread. They like their slot to be 10 yards outside, you know, just not next to the the tackle. They'll ask them to come in sometimes, run duo, get that guy inside, block the safety, dig him out. But they're not asking that guy to be Cooper Cup and block a defensive end or a linebacker. It's blocking DB types, but he kind of struggled against blocking DB types at the college level. So that's something Troy Walters needs to get him working on. And I, like I said, I think he needs to get the weight up a little bit, get some good weight on him. Um, There's room for growth there. You hope that the NFL weight program, but I hear some people talk about NFL weight programs, not that different from these big school programs, but now it's his job. It's not his, you know, four hour. Well, I don't want to say four hours uh, a day, but you know, maybe 30 hours a week at the college level turns into your 40 hour a week job and you're hitting the weight room and you're doing all this other stuff to get better. It's his full-time job now. And the last thing, about him that I think is an area that can work on or maybe a concern is I don't see the yak ability too much. I see him beat guys to the corner sometimes. That's why I talk about he's got good speed, but I don't see him, his shiftiness as a route runner doesn't show up as much as a guy with the ball in his hands. And that's where I think some of the comparisons fall short where I see, I don't see um, the Peter Warwick, which I've heard before, 
I don't see that because Peter Warwick made a killing as a yak guy, even though I was a very young guy seeing those. Um, I've watched them back as an older 27 year old, but uh, I don't, I don't see it as much because what he did was he just made defenders look silly with the ball in his hands. And Jones doesn't really do that too much. There's, it shows up flashes, but even as a return guy, what he likes to get is that alley and just go. He reads the field. Well, I don't know how much you can work on that, but I think the, the bare bones are there as the speed, the shiftiness, the change of direction, etc. The one thing I don't know that can get better is he doesn't have great balance. Guys will take him down on first contact pretty routinely, but that's Jones as a player. Now quickly to get into the schematic fit. I think this year he's the backup slot. I don't think he's going to take the backup wide receiver outside wide receiver job from Trenton Irwin. We'll see. It's a possibility, but I'd put the money on Irwin the same way I'm putting the money on Jonah to win the right tackle job. There's a chance that Jackson Carmen wins that job or even that Lowell Collins is healthy week one. But what I see is probably 75% chance that Jonah in his case, and in this case, Trent Irwin wins that job that I'm talking about. But the backup slot's still a very crucial role because it's what the Bengals needed against the Chiefs. Trent Taylor wasn't able to do it. And like I've discussed a lot, Trent Irwin isn't that short, shifty Julian Edelman type. He is a big Eric Decker type on the outside, six foot three, you know, some ability to sink, but that's not his game. I see pretty much a seamless transition in three years maybe two years to him taking over Tyler Boyd's role. That is the the area that seems pretty clear to me is he could be the starting slot. Um, it'll probably take, I just want a year of him getting better weight on him. I want a year of, you know, some technical refinement and improvement, even though he is pretty refined because he's 24, 25 years old, but I want to give it a year. And I think a little bit of that is the weight thing for the most part. Um, he does his best work short and intermediate. I think he can stretch the field a little bit with his, you know, ability to make contested catches, surprisingly good contested catch guy. And the Bengals will love that. They like all their guys to be like that. And then finally, NFL comparison took me forever to come up with because I, I, so many, I don't like, like I saw Danny Amendola and I thought that's good for what I think he can be, but I think he has more juice than that. And I, like I mentioned, I saw the Peter work. I've seen Michael Gallup and Darnell Mooney. I don't agree with those because those guys are mostly outside types, even though they're smaller, but I came up with Steve Breston. And I think that works on a few levels, size and athleticism. Steve was a good athlete, especially change of direction stuff. And he had a little bit of juice as a downfield guy slot. Mainly he could, he could play a little on the outside, but slot mainly. And he was the third fiddle to, to, to maybe the best wide receiver duo in the league at the time of Anquan Bolden and Larry Fitzgerald. They were the last trio to hit 1000 yards in the same season. So that is just about everything you need to know about Mr. Chuck Sizzle, the Bengals new backup slot wide receiver and fourth round pick. Coming up next, we got questions. Everybody was gracious enough to ask me enough questions that I will feel like I'm not just talking to myself on this podcast over the next two segments, but we'll be back right after this. This is It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati with Lindsey Patterson and Mike Santagata.
We are back on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati. It is the double mailbag. Usually this is a Thursday thing, but it's going to be Tuesday this time because, like if you're listening in the first segment, Lindsay is away for this podcast. So she was nice enough to not make me do three segments by myself. I get two of them to answer questions. So let's begin with Adam Wheels. With the Browns getting Zadarius Smith, what are two offensive line moves the Bengals could still make? One guy to start, if anyone's out there, and one to be a great backup option. I don't see... I see a guy that can start in Dalton Risner, but I don't see the Bengals making a move for a starting left guard. And I've went over this a few times. I just think they're going to give Cordell Volson that job because... When you look back at their history, I know this isn't all Zach Taylor, but some of it is. They gave Billy Price a second year. They gave Michael Jordan a second year. They typically get, they gave, and these are two success stories. They gave Clint Bowling and Andre Smith a second year. And both those guys struggled their rookie year. So what I see is them letting Cordell play this year out and then maybe making the distinction of we want a little bit better. And I know those teams weren't always contenders that these, they gave that second chance to, but I think it's in their blood to just give that next year. When a guy plays at the level Cordell played, who I'd argue his rookie year was better than any of those players. So when you look at that, I don't see them making a move for a starter. I would still love Dalton Risner as a backup on all three interior spots. Another guy I'd look at, because I think they feel good about the tackle depth. The one place they probably don't feel great about is the interior offensive line depth. Another guy, I believe, and I'm going to vet this on the internet live, but I believe Chase Rulier from the Washington Commanders got cut. Um, I'm just double-checking that. Uh, he played college football, was drafted by the Washington football team. Yes, he was released May 5th. So that would be a great signing, I think, because right now Trey Hill is the backup center. And I don't know who feels good about that, to be honest. Just haven't seen him enough. Not anything against him. Just haven't seen him enough. So getting a veteran guy that can play backup center, can maybe play some backup guard for you, would be huge. Those would be the two guys I would look at, but I don't think they're going to get a starting level guy. Right now, how do you think Juan Drago Turner II compares to Cheeto as a prospect? Other than weight, their measurables are pretty comparable. This one is from Matt Polly's. I believe that's correct, Matt Polly's. Attack me on Twitter if I am wrong. I think it's not it's not too dissimilar, but the thing that makes DJ Turner, Juan Drago Turner II, unique as a player is he's an outside corner. I think he's an outside corner mainly, if not only. And he's undersized at six feet, 180 pounds, where Cheeto, he's shorter, but he had that 200 pounds of beef. And you could feel that in the run game and even in the passing game when he, you know, jams guys. I don't see DJ. He does a cool one arm stab jam and he does a good job of soft shoe pressing letting the guy release and then hitting him with a jam. But I don't see him mugging guys the same way I could see Cheeto mugging guys coming out. So <clears throat> I think the weight is the big difference and DJ is a better athlete. I think that Cheeto now is a much better technician than DJ is right now. But that is what you're hoping for is um, a transition for him to become that level of 
technician and to work with his safety well, etc. He's got probably a year. I think somebody else asked this question about <clears throat> how ready do you think Cheeto will be for week one? Can we see DJ Turner start? I think that's a possibility to wrap this into the other question. But what I think, I think Cheeto's going to play week one. And I think that comes from what I've seen about Cheeto's uh, timeline so far. And everything I've heard is that he's pretty much on schedule or ahead of schedule. And when he tore his ACL was Halloween. When you think nine months from Halloween, that is about what July, maybe August. He's going to be pushing it a little bit, but I think he'll hit the start point. Now, will he be the same guy? I don't think you should expect that early on in his uh, return. I think you're hoping he comes back to form maybe by 12, 14 months since the injury. I think it's going to take a little bit of time for him to get back to form, but I think he starts week one. It's a possibility we see DJ Turner out there week one, but I think it will be Chidobe Awuzie. Who, what's your favorite all-time player from division rival teams? If you can't think any for the Browns, it's understandable. That is from All Hail Burrow Brady on Twitter. I think I've said this before um, on Twitter, but hopefully I don't change it up. Ed Reed for the Ravens. I appreciate greatness. And uh, I mean, he plays safety so fun with the returns, the interceptions. I know he had a, a huge return against the Bengals before. I don't know if that was to break the record or almost broke the record. He was in the end zone when he caught it and returned it all the way for a touchdown. He was just so much fun. I wish he didn't play for the Ravens. For the Browns, I mean, another fun answer there to me is Josh Cribbs who's an electric return guy who I think we would celebrate more if Devin Hester wasn't there at the same time as maybe the all-time best return man. And then for the Steelers, I really appreciate uh, James Conner and battling through cancer, coming back, winning the job. I don't remember what round he was drafted in, but winning the job when Love Bell had the contract dispute. I think he's an awesome story. And he left, so it's awesome to root for him, right? (laughs) Anyway, we'll get to the next one. Um, so goose goosey513 says so did you play o-line in high school slash college i played in high school before i ruptured my knee playing basketball i started at left guard and i was the starting power forward on the basketball team and uh then the knee killed that dream so that's where the passion for the offensive line originated uh I, I think I stunk at left guard to start because I want to be a wide receiver when I tried out in seventh grade and I was there for a week and then they moved me to tight end and then they moved me to left guard. And I was the smallest on the offensive line, but I wanted to play. So <laughs> I worked my tail off and tried to get better, but I still feel like I kind of stunk. And the one play that has stuck with me for eternity was when we were in the film room and I missed a block on a pass play. I didn't even hit the guy. And the coach was just like, that was the old lookout block where you didn't touch him. You just yelled back, look out. <laughs> I was like, I mean, yeah, but you don't need to roast me too hard. Uh, am I attending any home games this year? So preliminarily, no promises. I think two, and they're kind of close together. I don't like doing anything in the cold. I am not a cold weather person. So those are off the table, but I think I will be doing the Bills Sunday night game because I love doing primetime game. And then coincidentally, I'm going to be in Northern Kentucky for a wedding the week of the Seahawks game. So I may make an appearance there as well. So look out for me there. 
is 2019 LSU versus Bama the greatest collection of college, the greatest collection of football talent college football has ever seen from future CB1 Slim Drago Turner trade a 421. Probably the comparison I think you can make that's a team that's almost as stacked as that 2019 LSU and maybe more stacked when you consider the defense was the 2000 Miami Hurricanes against the was that the year they played the Ohio State Buckeyes? I assume Ohio State had a ton of talent too. They're always sending talent out there. So that would be, I think, the game you might look for. Uh, otherwise, I think that's the only one I could think of because that's one of the only teams that's as stacked as that LSU team was. Randy, R. Biter's Snow Dog, are they really going to pay Mixon over $10 million this year? Come on, man. Yes, I think so. I think we are at the point there probably. It would have to – I've been saying this all offseason. I think that could come with a con, in conjunction with another move, and that could be an extension. It could be signing a player, et cetera. But I don't think they move on or ask Mixon to take a pay cut unless they have to. And because that cap space doesn't do anything for you just sitting around. Now, if you have Zeke about to sign a contract as you're passing down back and he wants $6 million and you're like, look, we got to make this work. Joe, you know, can you cut off – five million of your contracts so is really just adding a million dollars maybe he's good with it maybe he's not maybe he knows he can't get more than that on the open market maybe he'll just feel slighted but that's when i think you could see the move or if they do somehow sign burrow t and logan wilson to long-term extensions this offseason which we're all hoping for but i think is a bit optimistic which rookie do you think is the most ready to start game one versus the browns from jake jacob wah uh cheat answer is brad robbins <laughs> the punter um the serious answer i guess man my uh, i think a lot of guys have a shot and i think the one guy that could step in there and start but maybe not take all the snaps would be chase brown i think as a runner he's pretty developed and I could see him take those snaps week one i don't think it'll be at the same level as a high-level mix-in game, but I think he could step in there and be a pretty decent starting running back week one. I don't think Miles Murphy would be bad either. He'd just be more of a run defender than a pass rusher. He's very raw as a pass rusher right now. You could take one drafted player from our AFC North rivals. Which do which one do you take to make it more fair? You have to give back the Bengals selection from the same round. Well, 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 that's fine. <laughs> because some of those teams are drafting high. <laughs> um, I liked a lot of the Bengals picks. When I think about it, I think of the first one that comes to mind is swapping out DJ Turner for Joey Porter Jr. Just because I had Joey Porter Jr. higher on uh, when I watched the two. I do think DJ has quite a bit of a ceiling because he's more of an athlete, but I think Joey Porter is just going to come in with a good floor coming from the NFL background. He has a lot of the traits and technical ability you're looking for. I think there is some stuff to improve on, but that I think is the first one to come to mind. Otherwise, was it fourth round when the Browns got Dewan Jones? I would take that gamble, I guess, over Charlie Jones. Uh, who I just talked a lot about because I thought Dewan Jones had fringe first, probably second round talent. He's more of an athlete than a lot of the giants to come through lately. You know, he's more, I think he's a better athlete than Orlando Brown was coming out. I think he's a better athlete than like the Daniel Faleles of the world. 
And I was willing to take that gamble. There's obvious reasons he fell down and it has nothing to do with his football ability. Okay. Let's hit um, Morv with an interesting question. Morv 6969. Does covering the Bengals take away from your enjoyment as a fan? I don't think so. I think the most fun I ever had was when I was covering the Bengals on that Super Bowl run um, because it's just the most success I've ever seen. It doesn't take away from my enjoyment too much. I think the one thing about covering the Bengals and producing content for the Bengals is it does it did change when I started getting jobs, you know, small time writing gigs and, you know, podcast gigs. I'm not living off of this money. I'm just, you know, it's just a good side hustle, but it does change from being just something I like to do. And as a hobby into a job, I now have to do it every week, even if I don't really want to, at least, you know, most weeks I could probably take a week off here or there. It's not too crazy, but what I'm saying is just, when your hobby becomes a job that loses a little bit of the fun i know if the Bengals get blown out i still have to go and gather clips write about it etc when before i'd probably watch but i'm not gonna watch too much of that like i'm gonna watch it once and just go okay that wasn't great and we move on but now i have to watch it two three times have takes have stuff ready for it um and that is that, that, yeah, that can be not fun. That can take away some of the fun from covering this. Um, doo, doo, doo. Let's see. All right, so we're at the end of this one, so I'll hit a fun one. <laughs> when you're, if you follow me long enough, you know high school. I was uh, an emo boy playing for the football team, I was, uh, I, but I had the long hair over an eye, love Taking Back Sunday and those bands. We need a rundown of my top emo albums and when does it stop becoming a phase? Never stops becoming a phase. I am seeing Blink-182 this Wednesday. But top albums, man, I'm going to go adjacent because I think there's some albums that deserve recognition. I have one minute. The Greatest Generation from The Wonder Years is the first one to come to mind. Uh, that ends perfectly. Transatlanticism from Death Cab for Cutie, who I'm also coincidentally seeing this year uh that's another fantastic album i think about to give a blink 182 one i mean i'm like a lot of fans of them i think enema of the state is the best thing they did uh taking back sunday where do you want to be um there's i'm trying not to do the canceled ones because i used to love brand new but uh that didn't end up too well i think for one that I don't think anybody listening to this has heard of, The Earth Pushed Back from Have Mercy. Check it out. It's uh, it's it's emotional. But that will do it for this segment. We got a second segment of the mailbag coming up right after this. This is It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati with Lindsey Patterson and Mike Santagata. We are back on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati. Thank you guys for all the questions. I'm going to keep trying to hit football questions for now, although I am running out a little bit, so we may get a little bit weird in this segment. So, Bengals and Cavs, me too. Bengals and Cavs fan says, is Burrow already the most impactful player in Bengals history? Only three full seasons in, but the culture shift feels like a whole different team. Would love to hear your thoughts. 
I don't I don't think I can put him there just yet. And there's two guys I'm thinking of, both played quarterback. I think he's above tough to say, Anthony Munoz, who was probably the best offensive tackle of all time. But quarterback just has such an importance on what, like you said, the culture and the shift and all of that. So if you put Munoz above him, I fully understand that. And I might believe that. But to make the argument, I don't think he I don't think he's currently above Boomer Esiason and Ken Anderson. A, because they both won NFL MVP awards. They both led the team to a Super Bowl. And they just did it longer. I think that's the big part is Burrow has a very, very good shot of getting there and being the most impactful player in Bengals history, especially if he ever wins a Super Bowl. Um, hopefully this year. Uh, but I I think you have to give those two a little bit more credit as of now, just because they did it for longer. Now, I think Burrow's going to pass them probably relatively soon on his second contract. But for me, I would still have those two ahead of him. And you could probably make the argument for Munoz as well until this year the only hall of fame member of the cincinnati Bengals. so ken riley i guess you could i don't think i could make the case for ken riley over burrow to be honest even though he was a hall of fame player and fifth i think in the all-time interceptions list heck of a player let's talk offensive line depth from tom snyder more over our drafted guys versus undrafted free agents over the last couple of years. Do guys like Ben Brown and Kirkland have a shot at making the roster over guys like Smith and Hill, knowing Smith is offensive tackle and the others are guard? I think Smith is battling uh, Cody Ford, Jackson Carmen for a spot on the team. I don't think he's battling those two. I think that um, Ben Brown, kind of a sleeper to take Trey Hill's job. I'm not sure he will. The team does seem to like Trey Hill quite a bit, but Ben Brown from most people was a draftable guy and Trey Hill got drafted at, I think the end of round six, maybe early round six, but it was round six. It was late. It was before Trey Smith, of course, but it was late wrong. Trey drafted. Um, I think Ben Brown could push that. I don't have a take on Kirkland to be honest. And I've watched, all the preseason games too. And I just, he's kind of just there. I think Ben Brown could push though. Let's hit. What do you think from dig Lebowski, the art dude, what do you think are the three biggest questions for the Bengals in the 2023 season? I think safety is a big question. That's a little bit for, the people that really follow the team, but both safeties are gone. So how does that play continue? Can Luana Rumo still get a similar level product out of the defense? Because the defense has sneakily been better than the offense the past couple of years, especially in the postseason. The second question is the offensive line. It's always going to be the offensive line until they show that they can perform at a high level. I was saying similar things last year that I was this year about how this is the best offensive line since 2015, assuming Lyle Collins would be a top five right tackle like he was in Dallas and that didn't happen, and that Jonah Williams would at least stay stagnant with his trajectory, who ended up regressing. So things can always happen, and it makes it disappointing. I don't see that happening with Orlando Brown. Jonah to be determined at right tackle. That is just a big transition, but I I think that's always going to be a big question. And I guess the last question for the Bengals in the 2023 season 
is can you really win home field advantage in the one seed? Something they've never done. It's something they haven't really even been in contention for. If you think of last season, let's say they win that Bills game, they still wouldn't have won the one seed or even pushed for it because the Chiefs were a full game ahead. Full game ahead. So can you win all the games you're supposed to win? I'm thinking Steelers week one. I'm thinking Cowboys week two. And I'm thinking the Browns on uh, Halloween. Can you win two of those games next year? You could drop a game you are in 50-50 with, which they seem to win all of those somehow against the Chiefs, against the Bills until the AFC Championship game, but that's a whole different story in the regular season. Can they can they really make that one seed? And if you do get the one seed as a team, there's a heavy correlation with that quarterback winning the MVP award, which I guess could be another question. Okay. Do-do-do. We're going to hit... Eric, the Cincy Cat. Mike, when did you fall in love with football? Young age. I can't tell you exactly when. I was a kid. I think it was probably a combination of watching on TV. And I loved having um, Madden 2003 and 2004. I liked 2004 more. I was a little bit older when I played that one. Um, That was a lot of fun. I used to play the two-minute drill thing all the time. I used to play play now against my twin brother all the time and had a lot of fun memories with that and then just watch football with that the Bengals were fun in 2004 2005 2006 just because of uh chad johnson and the offense so next question is are the Bengals your favorite team in all sports i'd say so i love the the cleveland cavaliers but i don't know if i'd go to a game a year for the Cavs if they were five hours away from me like cincinnati is And finally, what is your favorite dish to make with your significant other? Mine is chicken parm. As an Italian, it is, but I don't really make that with. I was going to say, you know, the Sunday sauce and, you know, maybe homemade pasta, maybe dried bronze dyed pasta, but I kind of do that on my own. (laughs) Um, Meatballs is very fun to make with people. I, I love... I also love barbecuing and slow smoking things. And my fiance usually takes over on uh, mac and cheese and I'm tossing in the smoker and uh, cornbread. I do a jalapeno cornbread. That's awesome. So I think that's probably the most fun dish I make with my future wife. Jimmer time. What are you? Oh, we kind of covered the three Bengal storylines, but let's go to predict the AFC North team records and standings feels deep. I hate doing um, records like the Bengals feel like a 12 and four team. I still haven't really adjusted to the 17 games anymore. So could that be 13 and four? Could that be 12 and five? I think they're going to push for 13 wins, but we'll see if they can hit it. I think the Ravens will be right behind them. I think it'll be close. And that's a lot of, I wasn't sure Lamar's going to play, but once he signed that extension, they're a good team. And I think they'll push They're They feel pretty similar, like a 12 and four but I do think I like the Bengals more. So let's say Bengals 13-4, Ravens 12-5. and five. I'm going to go with the Steelers next at 9-8 and eight because Tomlin can never have a losing season. And then the Browns at, let's say, 8-9, and nine, maybe 7-10. and 10. It's a tough division for them. They, I will believe Watson when I see it, um, and I'm rooting against it. So that would be the records and standings. 
And finally, which AFC North team will challenge the Bengals the most offensively and defensively? I think offensively, it'll probably be, I don't, I can't say any of those teams really, I'm not going to say that they're bad offensively, but I don't believe in the Browns. And then if you're looking at the Ravens and Steelers, I'm more worried about both those teams defensively. Like, I think they're going to give the Bengals offense troubles. And I don't really even know which one I would lean because the Ravens played them well in the playoffs on defense and in that final regular season game. And even in the game before that, but the Steelers, I don't know how TJ Watt is able to jump up and just catch the ball like that, but it should be illegal. So both those teams are going to give them issues defensively, but I don't think are going to give the, the Bengals offense issues, but I don't see those offenses giving the Bengals defense issues. Like I would probably be a little bit surprised if they give up 30 plus points to any of those teams. It can always happen. Let's hit a quick one from Tommy, Mr. Elite 83. Is it cool to wear house slippers in an apartment? Yes. Why would it not be? Just because they're called house slippers? It's <laughs> a fun one. Um, let's hit these replies. <laughs> Boy. Okay. T-Skull. Thoughts on the Reds' new uniforms? Uh, I like the uniforms. I didn't like the logo. I'm not a Reds fan, though. So, I mean, I, I'll i be a Fairweather guy if they're ever good. <laughs> Favorite style of pizza? I bet you're a Sicilian kind of guy. I mean, I'm... <sighs> Maybe it comes from the heritage. I'm not from Sicily. My family, we're from Naples. So Napolitaliano is probably my favorite style of pizza. Something about just the basics of it. I also do love a hand-tossed Italian-American, New York style. I think with the pepperoni, if the pepperoni curls and it's got that good grease hitting the pie, that's a good slice of pizza. Okay. Kevin Brown, top three football movies in order. I don't know if I can do an order. Remember the Titans is probably number one. Um, and then I start falling apart because I think they're, that's really the only football movie I love. Other than that, like there's good ones. There's ones that are kind of weird. And I'm going to go with the comebacks. And I, I have not seen this since I was a teenager, but I thought that movie was hilarious with the ACL tear, Asiel Terry and everything to go with that. I'm not going to go back and watch it. There's probably stuff I won't like anymore now that I'm an adult, but I'm going to say the comebacks are up there. And then, I mean, the last one, man, I'm probably forgetting something. Like, I, I <laughs> the only one that's popping into my mind is Radio and The Blind Side, and I like Radio more than The Blind Side. I didn't really love The Blind Side. I thought it portrayed Michael Orr in a weird way, uh, and he kind of came out and said that as well. So, I, I don't know. We'll go with radio and somebody will yell at me about some movie that I should have picked and they'll be right because I just can't think of one. Brian asks, should there be a whiteout version of Who Day? Absolutely. I love the whiteout. I went to that game Thursday Night Football against the Dolphins last year and a whiteout Who Day would be pretty awesome. Brian, different Brian, B. Art Bo asks, what's your favorite cut of steak and favorite way to cook it? Ribeye and reverse sear if I have time. Um, if I'm in a rush, I will sear and then finish in the oven, but ribeye for sure. Let's see. All right. I did ask for revolutionary war questions other than George Washington. What founding father had the biggest impact on the creation of the United States of America? 
that would probably be Thomas Jefferson for buying half the country. I think that's the easy one to take. And I know there's other issues with uh, TJ, but he was, I think all in all, he was a pretty good president considering the time. Let's hit. Are you looking forward to any of this summer's sequels, Raiders, Mission Impossible, etc.? I'm not a Mission Impossible guy, and I, that's mostly because I haven't watched them. I've watched one Mission Impossible movie, and I thought it was good, but I think it was like number four. Didn't watch the new one. Indiana Jones, I'm not sure how hyped I'm supposed to be because I saw Kingdom of the Crystal, Crystal Skull in theaters as a teenager with my dad, and it was weird. So in old, even older Indiana Jones than that? I'm not sure how hype I can get. I'm going to watch it. I'll be in the theater, but I'm not sure how good it's going to be. I think the most hype sequel for me was Guardians of the Galaxy 3, and I loved it. So it already came out, and it was great. Let's hit, um, I mean, a quick one from Adam Wheels. I think I already answered one of his questions, but when are you getting married? June 1st, 2024, Uh, almost a year from now. So it's creeping up on me. Draft guy Jared asks, is the Battle of Bunker Hill overrated? Did we really win the war if there's a New England part of America? And how far could you throw a cannonball? Uh, Bunker Hill, I will say, is not overrated. Although I think the Battle of Trenton may be the most important. I am not a huge history buff. I just think it's fun to talk about. Did we really win the war if there's a New England? Absolutely. Just like New York. It's better than York. And how far could you throw a cannonball? I'm going to answer this seriously because I'm going to look up how much they weigh. How much is the average cannonball weight? Oh, eight to 10 pounds. I'm going to toss that thing 30 yards and you can't prove me wrong. Uh, last one, another fun one, revolutionary war adjacent. If you're being forced into the revolutionary war, I'd probably, I don't know, which six Pokemon would you bring to battle alongside you? uh abra is my favorite i'm gonna bring that and uh the british will never see a confusion coming pikachu because that'll freak people out charizard that'd be pretty cool to get a flame throwing and this is also like what i used in pokemon red whenever i have played that although ruby red for the color um let's say mewtwo for the power gyarados because that's a fun one to ride and we will go with Zapdos to fly around on. So there's six Pokemon and completely overpowered. That was it. I'm sorry if I didn't get to your question. I think there were a couple I didn't get to. I was trying to do it live and wing it. It is hard as a one-man band, but we made it. So until next time, I will catch you guys later on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati.